For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, Badger fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Open Gym Podcast. If you're back for another week, thank you very much. If this is your first time, welcome. Longtime readers of the Open Gym Mailbag know that I answer your questions every week. This gives you a chance to see me or hear me answer your questions. Make sure you subscribe to Badger Extra so you can get exclusive content like this podcast, our Badger's Legends series, various video features, the ability to text message us, and participate in live blogs. The UW football team opens play Saturday against Illinois State, and we'll have a ton of great content before, during, and after the game. Let's get this week's episode going with a Jim's Gem. It's week one of the college football season, and that means depth charts have been released all across the country. Well, at most places anyways. Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian chose not to release one, saying that a lot of his guys are going to play against Louisiana Monroe, and that's why he didn't want to put a depth chart out. That's a really lame excuse. Surely Sarkeesian's going to have starters. And surely he's going to put backups in behind those starters. So why not just let your fans know who's going to be in those spots in advance, right? And if you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe there's a competitive advantage to not releasing a depth chart and so your opponent doesn't know who you're going to play. But do you really need to use that against Louisiana Monroe, which went 4-8 last season? There are times when withholding information makes some sense to me. Like at LSU, for example. They're not announcing who their starting quarterback's going to be because Brian Kelly considers it a tactical advantage not to name either Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer heading into the Tigers game against Florida State. That one I get. But Sarkeesian not revealing who his starting left guard is or who his backup strong safety is? It seems silly to me. But there also might have been some depth chart shenanigans going on at UW. Earlier on Monday, WISN-TV in Milwaukee reported that backup quarterback Chase Wolf is out indefinitely with a knee injury. But Chase Wolf is still listed as the backup quarterback at UW on their depth chart. And more importantly, he's not listed on this week's injury report. Now, it confuses me why you would do that. Wisconsin's opening with Illinois State, which went 4-7 and seven last year and is an FCS opponent. Do they really want to keep it from them who your backup quarterback's going to be leading in the opener? Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh's been one of the more stubborn coaches when it comes to releasing depth chart. He just won't release one for years and years and years. But even he's come around and on a podcast last week revealed all his starters and all his backups. So there you have it. Harbaugh has come to realize what the rest of us already knew. Depth charts don't have to be this complicated, people. Now let's keep the football discussion going with this week's mailbag. This week's first question comes from at TJHeft14 on Twitter. Based on Barry's theory, is this year's football team is going to be a great team. Who are the five great players going to be? Thanks for the question. Some readers might remember that I actually did a column on this topic last year. I think it was leading into the Notre Dame game at Soldier Field. And I was toying around with doing it again this year, so thanks for bringing it up. Um, for those of you that might not be familiar with this theory, Barry Alvarez actually brought it with him from Notre Dame. And I think the first time he mentioned it was in 2003 at a, at a news conference. And here's the quote from Alvarez back then. To really be an outstanding team, you don't need to be a whole team full of great players. I felt, and I've said that, if you have five great ones and no negatives on your team, then you have a chance to be a really great team. A couple things right off the bat. To do this exercise right, you wait till the end of the season because then some great players might emerge that you never thought could be great players in the first place. And I'll use Braylon Allen as an example from last season. I didn't mention him in that column I wrote about potential great players because at that point he was a third stringer and no one knew he was going to emerge to be the star that he did. Um, plus, greatness is subjective, right? You look back at one of Alvarez's great examples, and it's Mark Tauscher from 1999. Nobody was talking about him being a great player at the beginning of the season. 
Yet by the end of the season, he was a valuable piece of a championship team, went on to have a great NFL career, uh, but it was kind of unpredictable and, and no one saw that coming. But let's, let's do it anyways. It's fun to do this exercise, even if you don't know exactly who it's going to be. And I can name three players right off the bat that I think are, fall in that great category for this year's Wisconsin team. That'd be Braylon Allen, outside linebacker Nick Herbig, and nose tackle Keanu Benton. I think those three are rock solid players who I think have potential for greatness. After that, it gets a little bit more dicey. You know, Ches Malusi is a guy who I think could have a really good breakout year. He looked really good in camp, back from a knee injury. Um, I think he could be a potentially great player. But is your backup running back considered a great player if he's not getting enough touches? Can he really fall in that great category? I don't know. That remains to be seen. A couple other guys I, I see could fit in that mix. Uh, Hunter Wohler, who's a safety, first year as a starter. I think he's got a ton of potential, but it's probably a little bit premature at this point to put him in the great category until proven otherwise. Chimeri DK, a wide receiver, another guy who's going to have an expanded role. He's really their only experienced wide receiver at this point. I think he's going to be a great player at some point in his career. I'm just not sure it's going to be this year. The cornerback position should be a really good group for Wisconsin, but I don't know if there's any stars in that group, and I, I hesitate to pick one as a potential great player. And then the other thing that we have to remember, the other part of Alvarez's saying is that you can't have any negatives on this team. So even if you do find five great players, you can't void it with a negative aspect of the team. And certainly if you look back at last year's team, the passing game was a negative, a big negative. You can't have that again going forward. This is going to be a great team. So I think a lot falls on Graham Mertz and the passing game to at least be productive enough to get to the point where if you have five great players, that's not going to hold you back. Next question comes from at Greenwave70. Where would you rank Paul Christ among the other Big Ten coaches? Some readers might remember that I did an exercise similar to this over the summer, I believe it was, and someone asked me to rank the Big Ten men's basketball coaches, and I had Greg Gard at number three. Um, he had coming off the second Big Ten title in three years, so I thought that was a, a pretty reasonable spot to put him. It's a little bit more difficult with Paul Christ because he has not won a Big Ten title yet, um, and has been around since 2015 and is still looking for that first title. Um, this is a really tricky exercise, trying to pick 1 through 14. Number 1 was really easy, number 14 really easy, everything else in between was kind of a jumbled mess. Um, it, part of it is it's kind of an apples to oranges comparison. How do you compare Mel Tucker, who's been in the league only a couple years, to Iowa's Kirk Ferentz, who's the dean of Big Ten coaches? Um, what do you do for guys like Brett Bielema and Greg Schiano, who are on their second go-round in the league? Uh, well, how do you compare a Michigan where it's a little bit easier to win to Northwestern where it's a really difficult to, place to win because of the academics? But I got creative and here's my list from top to bottom. Number one, Ohio State's Ryan Day. Super easy choice here. He took over for a legend and I think he's elevated that program. He's 43 and 16 overall since taking over at Ohio State. It says something about the Buckeyes that they were 11 and 2 last season and it's considered, it's considered a down year. Uh, I'm not giving anybody the number two position because I don't think anybody deserves a number two, so I'm gonna get a little creative here. 3A is Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. Uh, this program's one of the big two in the Big Ten and always has been, but it didn't really start acting like it under Harbaugh until last season. Finally, they won a Big Ten title, and I think if they win another one, or at least are competitive again, maybe one of the top two teams and establish themselves there, then Harbaugh moves up into that number two spot. There's, there's no discussion. Uh, 3B is Penn State's James Franklin. You know, Penn State's 8 and 10 the last two seasons, and, and frankly, that's, that's startling. Um, 8 and 10, just consider that. Penn State, a really good program, is 8 and 10. I thought about dropping Franklin in kind of my next tier, but the thing that kept me from doing that is he's got a Big Ten title on his resume, 
And he's also 3-0 against Paul Chris. So I had a hard time putting Christ above Franklin. Next on the list at 3C is UW's Paul Christ. Uh, for as much as people complain about him, he's 43-60 and 60 in the Big Ten. That's a pretty good record. His worst season is 8-5. That's not terrible. Uh, the counterpoint is he was 24-4 in the Big Ten at one point. So that makes him 19-12 since. Uh, 3D is Northwestern's Paul Pat Fitzgerald. Again, there's some really ugly seasons on his resume, but this is the toughest place to win in the conference and maybe one of the toughest places to win nationally. Um, so frankly, to have that program in the running for various Big Ten West titles is impressive to me. That's why I think he's in kind of that second tier. And the last one in this group, 3E, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz. Uh, for everybody in the UW fan base that's, that's complaining about UW being mediocre at times, uh, Iowa went through a really mediocre stretch back about five, six years ago. But Ferentz has helped them bounce out of that. They're trending up in the right direction. Won the Big Ten West last year. I think they got a really good chance to win the Big Ten West this year. He's done it over two plus decades. That's why I think he deserves uh, in that same tier with Harbaugh and Franklin and Christ and Fitzgerald. Next on the list is Michigan State's Mel Tucker, number seven. Just trust me on that numbering system. Uh, he very well could be a top five coach in the Big Ten at some point, and he's certainly being paid like one. Uh, I'm just not sure he's right there yet. I think he needs to put together another solid season for me to consider him any higher on this list. Uh, number eight is Brett Bielema. You only need two fingers to count the number of coaches on this list that have multiple Big Ten titles. It's Ryan Day and it's Brett Bielema. Uh, it's way too early to judge Bielema's performance at Illinois, but I do think you have to take his time at UW into account. Won three Big Ten titles back to back to back. That's pretty impressive. Um, you do have to consider the Arkansas days, too, and that did not go as well for Brett. Um, so that kind of factored in my decision. I think he falls somewhere right in the middle. Uh, there's another tier coming up. 9A, Jeff Brom. That's uh, another place, Purdue, where it's not easy to win, and he inherited a bad program and is a respectable 20 and 22 in Big Ten play. 9B is P.J. Fleck, and maybe you're surprised that I have Brom above Fleck. Uh, he's, on the other hand, he inherited a 9 and 4 team at Minnesota, and he's 21 and 22 in Big Ten play, so just slightly better than Brom. Number 11, Greg Schiano. Uh, he made Re Rutgers relevant at one point, and I, you know, very well could make them relevant again now in his second stay in Piscataway. Uh, the thing about his first time, though, is it was all of that success came when Rutgers was a member of the Big East, so I really want to see him get it done in the Big Ten before I put him too high on this list. 12 is Maryland's Mike Loxley. The guy clearly knows offense. The, the Terrapins can score with the best of them. They're going to be able to put a lot of points on the board this year. But he has not found someone on the other side of the ball to have a good defense. He's not found the right combination of coordinator and coaches to have a, enough defense to stop people. And you have to stop people in this league. 13 is Tom Allen. Uh, you know, he made that program relevant uh, and got a really nice contract extension out of it. Um, but last year was a disaster, and I'm not sure this year is going to be any better, which is why I put him so low on the list. And number 14 is Scott Frost. Duh. I mean, he's 10-26 and 26 in Big Ten play. He's coming off a boneheaded decision in the opener against Northwestern. This is a really easy decision to put him rock bottom on the list. So I guess if you pay attention and you added up the coaches by the order, I had Paul Chris number four. Uh, when I first read this question, my initial thought was, somewhere in the four to eight range. So I guess four is fair. I think you can make a case for anywhere in that four to eight tier. Those guys are really hard to separate. 
Next question comes from at Kevin underscore Graz. Should Wisconsin look at trying to schedule a week zero game, maybe an overseas game? I actually asked Paul Chris this last week when Northwestern was getting ready to play Nebraska in Dublin, and, and Paul made it very, very clear that he was happy the Badgers are playing at home to open the season. Uh, I'm kind of torn on this issue. Uh, you know, it's probably for selfish reasons. I'd love nothing more than a company paid trip to Italy or Germany or Spain or Ireland or England or Portugal or Croatia somewhere uh, to cover a game. Uh, but I actually think there's more cons than pros. Uh, I do love the idea of giving players a once in a lifetime experience by sending them overseas and, and having them see more of the world. But that's a long way to go for a game. And plus, you're, by doing that, you're shortening their off season by starting camp earlier. Uh, so my vote would be to keep things the way they are and, and, and start somewhere on the mainland in week one. Um, but just to plug a column I've got coming later this week, I talked to Chris McIntosh about scheduling in general, kind of some long-range scheduling things, uh, some, something about this year's schedule. So be on the lookout for that to, to hear more about how Chris McIntosh views scheduling. We'll wrap up with what to watch for this week on Badger Extra. What happens when a UW football player leaves a game by ambulance? Who calls the player's parents? Todd Mleska will explore those answers in a story that runs later this week. We also have the latest in our This Week in Badger History video series. This week we look at Russell Wilson's first start as the Badgers quarterback. We'll have full coverage of the Badgers volleyball home opener against Marquette on Friday night, which includes the national championship ceremony. And of course we'll have full coverage of Saturday's season opener against Illinois State for the football team. And that includes before, during, and after. Everything from video to commentary to the ability to chat with us during the game, we have you covered. That's the Open Gym Podcast for this week. Thanks for joining us. Another episode will drop next week, and we should have plenty to talk about after the Badgers officially open their season. If you have a question for me, tweet me at WSJ and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And subscribe to Badger Extra. We have a ton of great content on there, as I mentioned, but you can only get that exclusive content if you subscribe. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Open Gym Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.